0: All right, we are finishing up our series. Can you believe that? Week 9 of Emotional Intelligence. We're finishing it up. Um, Let me ask you this question. Do you want to live a life worth living? I do. (laughs) I do. And I want you to live a life worth living as well. And I think good emotional intelligence is essential for us to be able to live a life worth, worth living if we have Good emotional intelligence. We're well on our way. If we if we haven't developed emotionally, if we don't understand how to work our emotions, we'll end up spinning our wheels, having self-destructive thoughts and behaviors, uh, debilitation that that is on the inside, not imposed on us from the outside, but it comes from the inside, we'll have bad vision, we won't be able to see the opportunities, uh, we won't be able to see things in the right ways, among many other things, and so that's why we're trying to understand emotional intelligence is so that we can, we can live a life worth living. We got one shot, let's take it, you know, let's take it. The key concept of this whole series has been that the inner battle for your emotions is a battle that you have a right to win. The inner battle for your emotions is a battle you have a right to win. you fought that battle. you felt that fight going on in there, you know, and that's a battle you have a right to win. Um, I shared this last week, but it, it seemed important, so I'm going to share it again this week as well. What word... Has the most power in your life? Your word, the word of God, or something somebody else says about you, which word has the most power over your life? It's the one that you believe. If this says, Second Timothy one seven. If this says you haven't been given a spirit of fear, you haven't been given a spirit of timidity, but you've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, of a sound mind. If this word says you don't need to be afraid, but the word you speak over yourself is, I can't do it, I'm afraid, there's no way this is going to work. Which word is going to have more power over you? It's the one that you believe. Now, which one is more true? The Word of God is perfectly true. And so we need to believe the truth, not believe lies. Lies can be spoken over you from someone else. If you believe that, it will have control over you. You can speak lies over yourself. If you believe it, it will have control over you. But you can read the truth, believe it, and let that have power over you, and that puts you in the strongest position you can be in. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, a spirit of crumbling under pressure, but He gave us a spirit of power. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind of self-discipline so we can be overcomers. Amen? I'm going to give you a quiz this morning. If you pass, we'll move on to another series. If you fail, we'll start over. Now, if you really didn't like this one, you could come on Saturday or at 9 o'clock because they both passed. You know? So you could. there is a strategy involved. But let me ask you, I want to know. We've covered this every single week for two months. Let's we'll see if you can get it. The five elements of emotional intelligence Uh, From Daniel Goleman, five elements of emotional intelligence. If you have notes, you can consult your notes. That's good. It's good to write things down. So five elements of emotional intelligence. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to tell me what are the five elements of emotional intelligence. Self-awareness. They're getting it in the right order, too. The first service was all five in order. It was very impressive. Um, self-awareness, you have to be able to understand what are you feeling, what's going on in here, be able to articulate it, be able to have conversations about what you're feeling. That's element number one. What's another one? Self-regulation. Very good, very good. The ability to change what you're feeling. You may feel like punching someone. You need to stop feeling like that so that you don't go to jail or get fired or whatever the case may be, right? You need to regulate that. You don't want to go to work. Oh, I want to sleep in. Well, I'm just going to make it happen. I'm just going to do it. And you you change, you regulate. So, self-awareness, self-regulation. What's another one? Empathy. It's number four. The ability to understand what other people are feeling. Very, very important. To be able to see... What someone else is feeling by reading, body language, facial expressions, or just by looking at their situation and thinking, wow, that happened to me. This is how I felt when that happened. That's probably what they're feeling. Empathy. There you go. Internal motivation. Very good. Very good. Generate motivation from the inside. The uh, long version. (laughs) Internal motivation. That is Seeing the things in life that are worth doing and doing them, rather than being forced to do things all the time. You know, if you just sit there and wait for somebody to tell you to do something, uh, boy, that's not not great, is it? You know, clean your room. You know, and then you you just get forced to do things. What you want to do is be able to see the opportunities and the wonderful things in this life that you can grab hold of and grab a hold of them be motivated from the inside, not from forces on the outside. So we've got the first four, self-awareness, self-regulation, internal motivation, and empathy. What's the last one? Facebook and Twitter is wrong. <laughs> social skills, very good. So it's social skills. So now I know what I'm feeling. I can regulate that. I'm Going ahead and doing stuff worth doing, I can understand what other people are feeling. Thus, I can communicate with them. I can build rapport. I can connect. I can work in networks and groups because I have this understanding, social skills. So those are the five elements of emotional intelligence. Congratulations, you've graduated. We get to move forward on to the next thing after this. Hallelujah. Last week, we talked about the eye is the lamp of the body. Imagine if you could see the world from the lens of Christ. What would the world look like if you saw it as Jesus sees it? What if you saw other people the way Jesus sees people? It would be different. You'd be less irritated. You'd have more love. What if you could see yourself the way Jesus sees you? That's a beautiful thing. That's where you can can see your worth and your value because when Jesus looks at you, he sees someone worth dying for. Amen? And we know that because he did that. When Jesus looks at you, he sees someone worth dying for. Don't settle for nearsighted and blind. We want to have that vision. This week, again, a life worth living. What makes a life worth living? You know, as opposed to just a waste of time. I asked myself that question and three things came to mind. I'm going to share them with you. You can do with them what you so desire. Because, I don't know, this is just what came to mind. But they rhyme. So... Rhyming and anointing are pretty much the same, right? Isn't that in as far as sermons are concerned? If it rhymes or if things start with the same letter, then that's gotta be of God. Later on in the sermon, we'll have things starting with the same letter. So this is this is a this is a big one, this is a good one. Three things that make life worth living. For me, this is what came to mind: autonomy, community, and eternity. Autonomy is breaking free. To become who you are. Being you. Me being me. Rather than conforming to the pattern of the world. uh, Having to submit to other people's opinions. So you're just trying to please them. That sort of a thing. But really being you. You know God created you different than everybody else. There are billions of people on the planet. You know. uh, And each individual one is different. It's not like golf balls. You know, like a golf ball is a golf ball. People are all different. Each one is separate. Be the person God made you to be. Community. Community. We are not to be an island unto ourselves. We're meant to be part of something bigger than we are. We're meant to be part of the body of Christ. We're meant to be part of families. We're meant to have friends. We're meant to be part of something bigger than us. Community. And then eternity. Each day, seeing your life from the lens of eternity. Knowing that on this earth we can walk with God. Isn't that amazing? To walk with God, to serve the Lord in community who you're supposed to be. To me, that's a life worth living. It's probably a good start, but let's ask the question from Jesus' perspective. If Jesus is looking at all of these billions of people, for Him, what's a life worth living versus just a waste of time, just uh, letting the days go by? What's a life worth living according to Jesus? And I think Jesus answers this question in a parable. And that's the parable of the sower. We find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, We're going to read the account from Luke chapter 8. This is the parable of the sower, Luke 8. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. So is this parable intended for uh, just a specific group of people or for the whole masses of everybody? This is for everybody. Everybody's showing up. Jesus has got a big name. All kinds of miracles are happening. So a bunch of people are showing up. He's got their attention. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to tell you something. Here's the deal. And this is what he tells them. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is a nice parable because Jesus interprets it himself. Sometimes you read parables and you're trying to figure out what that means and, and that sort of a thing. This one, Jesus just flat out gives the answer. Here's what I meant. And that I find very, very helpful. So let's read what Jesus meant in his own words just a few verses later, starting in verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So this verse, verse 15, is Jesus' definition of a life worth living. He describes four ways to live your life. This is the one he likes. Of the four, this is the one he wants for us. This is his will for us. This is what we want to grab hold of. So let's look at Luke 8, 15, nice and close. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart that sounds like emotional intelligence to me it's like sounds like somebody who's got it together a noble and good heart do you have any part to play with that or are you just born with the heart you're born with and there's nothing you can do you have a part to play with that you can develop your heart into a heart that is softer and more able to receive things from God. So if you find this to be challenging, work on your heart. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it. So with the other ones, the word is heard, but it either didn't, Get in at all, or it didn't get in enough, or it didn't get the right priority. Hear the word and retain it. How many people hear the word and don't retain it? They've heard the truth of God. They've heard that, uh, that we have not been given a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline, of a sound mind. If you hear that and it gets in you and you retain it, that's a noble and good heart. If it just sort of bounces off, it's not what we're going for. Who hear the word, retain it, and produce a crop. There's something between hearing it and retaining it and producing, right? And it it has the word severe inside of it. And by persevering, produce a crop. This is how our Lord wants us to live our life. If you live your life this way, when it's all said and done, what does Jesus say to you? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I want you to imagine that moment for just a second. You think you're busy? Jesus is going to take a moment. Not look at any other human being of, the, of all the billions. Look you in the eye with a smile. I don't know if He'll do cultural things, if He'll, if he'll shake our hands because that's good for us. Reach out, firm handshake, pat on the shoulder and say, boy, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and share your master's happiness. What would you do to live that moment? What would be worth it for that moment to happen? Well done. Nice job. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was crucified and killed for us, says, that was a life worth living, man. Good job. Come on in. I would like that. This is what we need to do. Develop our heart. Hear the word. Retain it. Persevere. And we hear, well done, good and faithful servant as we bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So what about the other three? I think they can be easy to fall into, but they're obviously very, very important to avoid. We're going to call these the three D's of the parable of the sower. The three D's of the parable of the sower. We want to avoid these D's. Uh, Luke eight twelve. the first D is denial. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. They deny. They say, hey, man, you know, uh, this is 2014, and we're a little past mythology, aren't we? We're going to believe stuff like that? Forget it. I'm not going along with that sort of, you know, spiritualism, goofy stuff from thousands of years ago. Our culture has progressed beyond that, and we know that's just baloney. Denial. Denying Christ. Let me tell you, I spent 19 years in this category. Uh, There is no scientific reason to disbelieve in God. If you... You know, you came to church, so my guess is you're probably not in this category. You might be. Somebody might have drug you in. Awesome. That's great. I'm all for dragging people to church. You know that? I'm all for people wandering in who are like, hey, Magus, I'll go check it out. Never done that before. I'm all for that. That's awesome. So you might be in this category. There's no reason scientifically, intellectually, to disbelieve in God. If you have questions about that, talk to me later. Because I spent a lot of time there, and it was difficult for me to get out of there. And uh, so if you want to hear my years of struggle and the things that I learned through that, um, let's get together, all right? So, but uh, let's not deny. Let's not be believers who deny pieces of it. You know? Let's not deny parts. We're going to uh, get into a place where I think this—the series after the next one—will be. uh, Sorry, my phone. Somebody didn't turn down their phone. The series after the next one, I think, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people prefer the Father and Son. But you get into that third one. We don't like the Trinity. You know, we want the dynamic duo. We want, we want the two. We like the Father. We like the Son. It's all good. Now we got this... this uh... We don't want to deny pieces of God. We want to receive all of God. Amen? Amen. We want to be led by the Scriptures and understand what the Bible says. But who gets to decide the, the nature of God? Me? we don't get we have to discover that we don't get to pick the nature of god that we prefer we have to discover what the truth is and grab hold of it so we don't want to deny parts of god we want to receive all of god so d number 1 is denial d number 2 is discouragement luke 8:13 those on the rock this is not the solid rock of christ the you know the the uh matthew 7 the house built on the rock this is Like if you were to plant your garden on your sidewalk and just sprinkle a little bit of dirt over the top, you know, your beans would come up, but then when the sun came out, they'd dry up. That's what this is talking about. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. So, hey, the evangelist came, they they raised their hand, they cried, they filled out the card, it was awesome, they want to be loved by Jesus, but then some difficulties happened. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. How many of us will be tested? There's a reason why you were born on earth and not born in heaven. It's because here's where we get tested. Here's where darkness is. Here's where the fights are. Here's where the hardships are. Here's where the battles are. You will be tested. It's God's plan. Put us here, put us to the test, we're in the crucible. Will we become discouraged and fall away? That's the question. He wants to know, so he wants to test us. Now, I don't know that discouragement is, you know, like here it's it seems to be all or nothing, right? But man, there's levels of discouragement, right? There's levels, there's like... I'm a little discouraged. I'm not falling away yet. I'm just bumming. You know, I believed for this thing, didn't happen. I'm discouraged. I was hoping for this to happen, didn't happen. I wanted this relationship to go good. It was a disaster. I got fired. Lord, what's going on? And you're a little discouraged, but you haven't fallen away. There's levels of discouragement. What do you do when you're a little bit discouraged? I think there's really two, just to make it super broad. When we're discouraged, we can choose between these two things. Fade from God, fade away from Jesus, or draw closer to Jesus. When the fence is shaken, we're going to fall off one side or the other. When things are tough, is that going to ruin our prayer life? We still believe, but we just don't pray like we used to. Because, oh. Or are we going to pray harder and get closer and dig in deeper? When we get discouraged, which way are we going to go? Here's what Jesus says we should do when we're weary and burdened. And this is, this is discouraged, weary, burdened in uh, Matthew 11:28 through 30 Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light was Jesus lying when he said that serving God is hard so especially in this culture, it's hard. Which word are you going to believe? My yoke is easy and my burden is light? Or man, this is hard. Now, there's tests, right? Jesus says to some people, he says, hey, I want you to resist them even unto death. Oh, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light? You know, he's not talking about fluffy pillows and stuff all the time. He's talking about, you'll get through it, man. You'll fight through it. You'll be able to get there. And you'll have peace in your heart instead of confusion. You'll have satisfaction in your heart rather than uh, the dread of lost opportunity. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. If you're not experiencing that, then it's time to reevaluate how you're following Christ. I could talk about that for a couple of days. So I'm not going to because of time constraints. But my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was not lying. If that's not the experience you're having and you're getting discouraged, ask him, Lord, this is what your word says. How do I get there? How do I get to that place? Man, I got to tell you, I've been walking with the Lord since 1988. And this is a battle. It's still a battle. You still got to fight it. You don't get discouraged all the way to walking away, but man, we get discouraged from time to time. We got to figure this out. We got to continue to hone our skills and learn because we can learn from Him. He's gentle and humble at heart. He's going to help us out. So when you're discouraged, don't slide away from Jesus. Come to Jesus. And have him help you get through that. That's D number two, discouragement. So we've got denial, discouragement. D3 in the parable of the sower is distraction. Luke eight fourteen, Distraction. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So what's the, what's the thing that causes the problem with this? It's not that they didn't hear it and receive it. They received it, but they just were focused on other things, so they didn't mature. They were distracted. How well do you think that describes the Christian culture in America today? Very distracted. Hey, we'll give Jesus a little bit of time. But man, I've got these other things to do. Very distracted. Now, can you have a can you have a a, a a very demanding job and be a Christian? Absolutely, absolutely. This isn't a matter of just staying home and praying all day. It's a matter of where's your focus, where's your heart, choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. You know, if the devil can't stop you, he'll try to distract you. He'll try to get you not growing, not developing, not bearing fruit, just distracted. I was, I'm a geek, I don't know if you know that, I'm a a geek, I was watching this show about what do you do if a meteor is going to come and blow up the earth, you know, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And they got all these different strategies and these different, you know, things that radar deals that can find all the, uh, all the asteroids that become meteors, that become meteorites that blow us up. And, and so they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And, and uh, so the question is, okay, do you blow up the meteor? Do you shoot it with something and, and knock it off course? And one guy said, if, you, if, if we can get this all mapped out properly and we get a 10-year... Uh window, we can launch a spacecraft and just park it near the asteroid, and the little itty bitty bit of gravity that the spacecraft has will actually pull the asteroid off course enough to miss the Earth if we know it far enough in advance. You don't even have to touch it. But you gotta have some time. How much off course? is too much off course in serving the Lord. I want to be on course, you know? I don't want to be distracted. If we battle discouragement, i got to tell you, we battle distraction. Amen? This life is distracting. I watched a movie from 1981 the other day. Nothing happened in the whole movie, you know what I mean? Like you're sitting there, the people are like standing Nobody's saying anything, there's no music, it's just quiet. I'm like, uh," you know, like the world was a different place decades ago. Things happen a lot faster now. You know? Preaching a message, people are sending me texts, you've got stuff on the screen, we got noise and music and all, you know, man, all kinds of stuff is happening. This is a very distracted life that we live. We need to take a breath, look at the look at what the Lord has for us. Now, We've been studying emotional intelligence, and I think negative emotions are one of the biggest distractions we can have in our life. Have you ever been so mad at somebody you couldn't think of anything else? That's a distraction. Negative emotions, have you ever been so afraid? It just overtook. Anxiety takes over. Talk about a distraction. How are you going to serve the Lord in that fullness if you've got these things pulling you all over the place? It's a tremendous distraction. If we can go from bitterness to love, from anxiety to peace, my yoke is easy and my burden is light is going to be more and more and more true. Because imagine if all those negative emotions fell off. Would that be a hard life? That'd be doable, wouldn't it? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let's, let's develop ourselves emotionally so that we're not distracted by negative emotions. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. We're going to close. If I just told you, don't deny, don't get discouraged, and uh, don't get distracted, and just shamed you, that'd be a good preacher, right? Go home shamed, and you don't know what to do. Right? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but what do you do? Right? I mean, we need to be able to, what am I supposed to do then? You know, I know what I'm not supposed to do, what am I supposed to do? So let's take the three D's, of the parable of the sower and let's turn them positive so that we can we can go in that direction knowing what we're supposed to do so what's the opposite of denial the opposite of denial is faith it's believing it's trusting in god so when we have that tipping point am i going to go towards unbelief or belief believe by faith Develop your faith. Trust in the Lord. Believe. Have faith. If I'm discouraged, what's the opposite of that? It's courage. Right? It's to be encouraged, to be full of courage. You will be tested. You know that because you have been tested and it's not done yet. You'll be tested more. The Lord wants to see you fight that fight with courage. That's what He wants to see. Courage. If it goes your way, awesome. If it doesn't go your way, that's tough. But you can, you can know that you had courage no matter what. Distraction. What's the opposite of distraction? Is focus. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, be focused on the goal, and be thinking each day, I want to hear my Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. I want to live a life worth living. I'm going to close in prayer. Prayer team is up here. They're here for you to, uh, to receive individual personal prayer. If you need help with discouragement, they'll pray with you. If you need help with uh, overcoming distraction and getting your focus in the right places, they will help you. If you don't know who Jesus is and, and you don't know how to serve Him and give your life to Him, have your sins forgiven and be brought into the kingdom of God, they will help you through that. If you've got a physical need, if you've got a financial need, if you've got a relationship need, they will pray with you. We should pray. The Bible says in one place, you do not have because you do not ask. Somebody asked me one time, if every prayer you prayed this week was answered, what would the world be like? I said, if if it would be the same, you're not praying enough. (laughs) We need to pray. We need to ask. So I'm going to close and then I'll open the front up for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask you that you would build our faith. Give us a, a double portion, a double measure of faith. Help us to believe in you and trust in you, to choose to trust you, to reject denial, but grab hold of you knowing that you have grabbed hold of us. Father, bring us to a place of courage. Not being discouraged by the difficulties that we face. Let us not be surprised. We know this is the place of testing. Let us stand courageous and stare down our obstacles and fight. And Lord, help us to be focused with all the distractions in this life, all the things that are going on. Lord, let us not be drawn away from you unwittingly because of all the things going on in life. Let us grab hold of you, see you, and be focused on you. Bless us in that way. Let your light shine in our hearts. Give us strength in these days that we have. So bless us and encourage us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.